Acts chapter 20, we pick up in verse 28. We had a lot of discussion last week regarding verse 27. But we're going to look at some more of the components of basically what happened in this incredible message. And then we're going to, we'll see where the Lord leads us. But as we pick up in verse 28, Paul continues on as he's speaking to the elders. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, and by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the words of His grace, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. So when they accompanied him, him, the families were all together. The women and the children, they said goodbye to Paul. They missed him. They knew that they might not see him again. We see that Paul was at Miletus. He instructs the elders. We had lengthy discussion last week regarding what had caused churches to compromise with the whole council of the preaching of the gospel. And we said definitely that we would come into this week and pick, pick up in these verses. We talked more last week more about policy and more about governmental issues. And this week we're going to look more on a spiritual level on what Paul is trying to make it very clear about what the overseers of the church. What should you look for in an overseer? If you have no church to go to, you move away, you go into a new town or go into a new country or a new state, what do you look for in a church? And Paul's trying to make it very clear here, the overseers of the church have a great responsibility. And I think one of the greatest responsibilities that Paul's trying to teach here is persistence and consistency, faithfulness. And Paul wasn't just talking about to the elders, he was talking to the congregations. And he was literally talking to the overseers and the elders of the Ephesian church who met with him in Miletus. He approached him with many tears because those he loved and those he taught, those that maybe amongst them weren't quite there, didn't know Christ. They were learning. They had questions. They had things on their heart that were weighty. Romans chapter 9 verse 2. Um, Noah, could you look that up? Romans 9 2. I think we'll start from the right side this time and maybe sweep to the left with Bible verses. That's my right to left. That would be your left to right, of course. But Romans chapter 9-2, we have several verses to read this morning. Paul's talking about how he has heaviness and continuous sorrow in his heart for his brethren. And he shows, once again, as he... Here in Romans 9, all throughout Romans, he shows the heart of a pastor, the heart of a real shepherd. You have it, Noah? Thank you. Romans 9, verse 2. And 3. 
Paul said, I could wish that myself were accursed for my brethren. He's saying that he would love the brethren so much that if the Lord would take all of their burdens and their trials and sins and put them on him, that he would be accursed for them. But he has a greater gospel. He, you know, he only says this a few times, but what does he say all the time? But there is one that was accursed and condemned and died for you. Lisey. Right. That's a tough one. How how could you even? It's hard to even fathom hell, let alone any chance and possibility of all being there. Paul just had he had such an incredible relationship with the Lord and with these people. He saw things that really weighed on his heart, and that's that's an incredible statement because that would be difficult. That would be very hard to be able to say such a thing. And he, Paul's putting it all out on the line. I believe that what maybe had propelled him to say such a thing, he carried this immense weight and guilt upon him that he knew that there were apostles and disciples that followed Christ that from their, maybe from their birth, perhaps maybe from when they were young children, that they had wonderful upbringings and they followed the Lord. They knew the prophets. They knew the Old Testament. While in his youth, all the way up until he was probably close to 30, he was persecuting the church. He had killed Christians. He had drugged them in and he had taken them into jails and he had done all these things. And part of him probably thought, he, he made it very clear that he thought that he deserved the worst treatment. But he turns out to be one of the greatest apostles. And it was such a, a, an awesome testimony to us, even reading his words all these years later. I think that's fascinating what we can see here. He said, Paul, was, he was struggling also with trying to reach immature believers. And Paul identified with love to show how important it is to use their gifts to grow in Christ and how he loved them. And when he struggled, you could see the struggle there. He tried to hit everybody. He was trying to go to every church and he was trying to hit people along the way. At one point, instead of getting on a ship, he walks to Asos so he can hit the people on the way there. Later, we're going to find out down the road, he gets on the ship because it's filled with people that weren't believers and he's witnessing to them. And he's trying, he doesn't want to miss anything. And so Paul, he keeps nothing back. We see that Paul was bound in the spirit with obedience, with faith, with the threat of dangerous and the, and the threat of political corruption and being in grave peril in Romans chapter 15, 31, we read that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. He knew that hard times were coming. He knew that it was difficult. And also, he could be attacked by the Jews. And he begged the Roman diaspora to pray for him. He, he receives very and a very profound, weighty prophecy and this is kind of where we left off last week, and then we're going to go way forward. But Matthew, could you look up Acts chapter 21 and read verses 11 and 12, please? Just flip the page there, basically.
They begged him not to go because this is a prophecy from the Lord that Agabus told. We will see this in the next chapter. There are some fascinating other completely different events coming up. He was told, you're going into a firestorm. And you think anybody else would probably say, hey, forget this. I'm out of here. I'm getting on a boat. I'm going to go right back to Cyprus or Barnabas or wherever, the easy, the easy ministry. I'm hiding. I'm not dealing with this because I go back to Jerusalem. I'm in big trouble. No, he said, I would die for the cause of Christ. And he, that's his reply. We're going to see that reply to Agabus and all those that begged him not to go there. And he says, I'm like a flint set for Jerusalem, just as Christ had said. And that's all the way back in Isaiah. He goes, I'm going. And no matter what they do, just like Esther. What, there was another Hebraism I found. There's, you know how we talked about Hebraisms? You say two words or three words. To, 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 Christ said, verily, verily. What did Esther say? If I perish, I perish. She said that in front of Hashish. Remember that? And this is what he's saying. If I die, I die. And he wasn't kidding around. Very profound. Well, we see that Paul preaches the whole council. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And we got into a lot of political stuff last week, but this is incredible. This goes wonderfully back to the job of the prophets to declare the truth of the Lord in its entirety. It's not to be cut up. It's not to be rewritten. It's not to be man-centered. It's to be taken. This Bible is to be taken the way it was written and the way it was intended by God. And this is why I have a real problem, especially back in the days of the 16th century where the Roman Catholic Church would take that Bible, chain it to a lectern, chain the doors, and woe be unto, unto anybody that would dare interpret it or translate it. They, would, they wanted the ability to translate that Bible and not be questioned on anything. And you know, I found that that's the greatest thing you can do, is question authority. I like that bumper sticker. Question authority. Sometimes we need to do that, especially when it's going wayward. Very important. We see here that the entire plan and purpose of God for man's salvation in all its fullness is the whole counsel, the divine truths of creation, election, adoption, conversion, sanctification, holy living, and glorification. It hits every area of our life. Personal, spiritual, where in our work business, our work businesses, we're supposed to have, you know, we're supposed to have in our hearts a desire to encourage and love others. I love what Faith said a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Who was the lady that passed away? Mary. Faith was the last one to see her alive. And she held her hand and she talked about the Lord with her. And she, was, she would have been alone if it wasn't for Faith. That's, that's incredible. To be able to have that, that's a grace that the Lord gives. In all of time, the Lord before the worlds were created had appointed that time for Faith to be there that very same second. It's not, it's, not, it's not easy to be there. There are many people that aren't even near their loved ones when they die and they spend their lives you know, just really lamenting over that. And to have someone there just to be able to comfort them for a few minutes, it means an awful lot. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Rachel, could you look that up? 2 Corinthians 2, 17. And then after that, Lisa, could you look up 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4, and 5? 
And then here's some real heavy hitters right here. Revelations 22, 18 and 19. I probably have faith. Could you look those up? Revelations 22, 18 and 19. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Okay. Is that 2 Corinthians 2.17? I've got a different verse. What does it start with? That's my, that's my fault, I'm sorry. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians, but it says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Go forward, uh, Lisa, could you do 2 Timothy 4, verses um, 4, 3 to 5? Thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. That's it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's the lead in beautiful verses. Thank you, Lisa. Going into this next part of our lesson here, Paul is saying, be careful. There's a warning. And it's pretty much, if you can really look at this hard and read this and understand this, most of what Paul is talking about in this, one of the few messages that we hear up until this point in Acts, we haven't heard Paul really preach. We've, we've seen his missionary journey. We've, we've had accounts of where he is and everything. But here he's actually speaking. Luke is documenting this. And he is giving a warning to everyone around, be careful for what's ahead. Because Paul said, I've seen this before. What, you know what he's saying? I was one of those wolves. He knows all too well. He knows the tricks and he knows how the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to band together and tried to go in and pull new converts into their cult. And that's not unusual. We have so many cults in America today. Uh, it's incredible the people, what, what they'll follow if they're hurting. And that's when a lot of these cult leaders latch onto the hearts of people is when they're down and out and they're hurting. Paul had been there and he says here, he, he says here, be careful. They, he goes, they have fables. They, they, they have, these people have itching ears. And these prosperity gospel guys, they don't mind itching them. They don't mind scratching these itching ears. Revelations 22, 18 and 19. If you have that faith. Thank you. And that's we, wrote, we, we did read that last week. Brother Dave Cross, he read it last week. Faith reads, and I wanted to do that twice. Maybe we'll read it some more. But that's the bottom line. There's not to be one jot or one tittle. When Christ says that every jot and tittle must be fulfilled, that means not one jot or tittle is to be changed in this word. It's not to be abrogated. It's not to be translated. It's not to be turned into something that it's not. 
It's one thing to translate it into a language. It's another thing to take the original text from that and then try to, to stretch it or cut and paste and cut and add things. But Paul is giving a lead-in to these next verses. And I have five parts of this message. And then we're going we're gonna to do some work together here in a little bit. But the second part is, first part is Paul preaches the whole council here in his message. The second part, he warns them that grievous wolves will enter among you. Wolves in sheep's clothing. First, Paul petitions the elders to teach, to guard, to love the flock. But look at this, look at this warning. Paul warns of the church of Christ, remembers, he, re, he reminds them that it was purchased with the blood of Christ. And how beautiful that is. That the wolves will be creeping in, savage wolves. This illustrates the dangers that are posed in the church when false leaders attempt to take over. Paul warns that after his departure, he is very concerned that the elders and churches in Asia Minor will forget the whole council and that wolves will creep in and take over. Lisi, could you look up Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 27? And Dave, could you look up Matthew 7, 15? When you're ready, thank you. And isn't it amazing how wolves and coyotes and of those that type of species they they roam in packs. They're very wily. They're extremely crafty, and and that's what an incredible uh, um, metaphor that this is. Matthew seven fifteen. If you have that, Dave. And to back that up, another parallel verse, Matthew 8, 10, 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Christ said these very, very words. Paul comes right back and he reifies them. He reiterates them. Nancy, could you look up Luke chapter 10, verse, thir- Luke 10, verse 3? Luke 10, 3. That's a hard saying. There were many hard sayings of Christ. Hard sayings because they were warnings. He knew what, what lie ahead. But it's just like Christian on that, on, to the celestial palace and all of the hardships that he faces on the way to going through the last part, the river of death, to get into the celestial palace. There's all these trials. There's all these darts and arrows being fired at the Christian that's getting ready to, that's trying to live a godly life, that's trying to walk up that mountain and try to do what's right. And there's all kinds of, all kinds of uh, uh, demonic influences that Satan will try to impose. And Paul knew this. This is what he was trying to say. Paul said that day and night he was in tears. He warned the brethren to beware of those who would divide those of the way, those who would follow Christ, those who would worship in truth. He said, be careful There are false prophets out there. Here's a couple of interesting quotes regarding false prophets. It is the nature of all hypocrites and false prophets to create a conscience where there is none and to cause conscience to disappear where it does does exist. That's Martin Luther. And he's basically saying these false prophets can cause these illusions that people latch on to, but they're not based on any truth. 
Dr. Sproul said, scratching people with the, where they itch and addressing their felt needs is a stratagem of the poor steward of the oracles of God. This was the recipe for success for the false prophets of the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament with all the false prophets and all the false, the horrible Baal worshippers and Ashtaroth and these different, these different wicked gods that were being followed. False prophets from the Bible, we can see quotes from Scripture. Um, Brother Jim, if you have Matthew chapter, if you could look up Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, and then skip down to verse 24. Matthew 24, 11, and then go to verse 24. False prophets are what we're talking about. Wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. And then verse 24. Look at the signs and the wonders on social media, on YouTube videos, on these extremely large screens where there's all of these demonic things that are being presented to people and they love them. It comes through some of the entertainment that's out there. It comes through some of the magazines, some of the things that are on television. We see them, movies. Look at the signs and the wonders that they put on some of the ads when you go to the movies, right before the movie starts. All these horrible ads and the things that they put into our brains. And we're all, we've all been there. It's everywhere. It's hard to evade. You can't even hardly ride up and down the, the beltway or anywhere on billboards and not see actual movie billboards that have, have all the stuff just repetitively, you know, just kind of right in front of you. But these are all kind of like modern day signs and wonders, things that they can do things on television. They can make anything look like anything. And it's incredible what they're, what, what, what they're able to do. And we have to be careful. Here, Paul opens up and he parallels his petition to the elders and the disciples about caring for the flock. He says to warn them. He says to show them what to look out for. That is who, that's the kind of person that you want to listen to. I just thank the Lord in my life early on. I had teachers, I had pastors, and, and those that warned me. I mean, some of it was actually, they, they would get downright nasty, but I'll never forget it. Warning. I remember the biggest warning I got, I remember was <coughs> about nine years old, in our biblical devotions at the house, when my father said, think about hell forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what he said, never getting out. That was a warning. I learned about hell early on in life and early on. And some people don't even, many people don't even believe it exists. He says to war, he's warning them. Paul's warning them because he loves them. Like a good parent tells their parent that tells their children and encourages the children, be careful. And he warns them. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, maybe Greg, could you look that up? 2 Peter 2, verse 1. And then um, Jacob, Mark chapter 12, verse 38. We're looking here how, as, as Greg's looking that up, how Paul opens up, he parallels his petition to the elders and the disciples, and he, he warns them, he shows them what to look out for. 2 Peter 2, 1.
Thank you, Greg. But how do we know? How do we know who these false prophets are? How do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? We have to go to Scripture. But we do know this. The Lord says that we better figure it out because those that are leading those down the wrong road and those that follow them, He's going to bring them to swift destruction. That's not debatable. That's not, that is non-negotiable. He will bring them to swift destruction. Jacob, if you're at Mark 12, read verses 38, 39, and 40. 38 to 40, okay? This is the words of Christ himself. I do, does, 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 does that make you burn in your heart when you hear the very words of Christ? When in red letters in your Bible, it gets me going. I mean, it's like he's standing right there looking at me. I don't know what he looks like physically. Nobody does. But it's like he's standing there and telling me this personally when I'm reading this. Tim, remember this. Tim, remember this. Tim, remember this. When you read this stuff, make it intimate. Make it personal. Don't make it generalized and broad. Make it one-on-one because he is speaking to you. He speaks to me and I'm speaking to you. And he says, be careful for this stuff. And what he's saying is, back then when the Pharisees were out in the streets and they had their long robes, they looked so pious. They looked so professionally religious. Reminds me of flipping the channels on around Christmas and seeing that whited sepulcher filled with dead bones watching the Vatican and them standing there singing that music with all those cardinals and friars and priests. People, they literally have the unmitigated gall. These men literally have the unmitigated gall to receive the label of Father says in the Bible, you don't have to call anyone father, but the heavenly, heavenly father, your earthly father. But that's exactly what it's like. I can't think of anything else that, to me, that parallels the Pharisaical movement than the Roman Catholic Church. The doctrines might be different, but the phylacteries, the robes, the long prayers, the ritualized prayers that are kind of like regurgitated over and over and over again... Christ himself says to beware of this. He says even the very elect will be deceived. And this is what Paul's saying. And what this does is this transfers into the third part of the lesson this morning. The first part of the lesson, once again, is we, Paul preaches the whole council. The second part is he's warning of grievous wolves. The third part, this is where he turns around, he turns the corner like he does in Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans, and he goes right into Romans 12, speaking about the personal applications of Christian living. I remember R.C. Sproul saying over and over again, he shows the heart of a pastor, and it's like a bullet form, I remember saying word for word, it's like a bullet form of lists of what Christian living is supposed to be like. And then Paul, he says to these overseers, first of all, he says, Preach the whole council, warn them of the grievous wolves. He says, now, I'm coming after you. 
lovely, in a lovely way. He wasn't being mean. He says, you protect that flock. You protect the people. If you're overseers over people that are learning about the Bible, I don't care if it's one, I don't care if it's a hundred, you protect them. And how can you protect them if you have nothing to do with them? You can't just go in for five minutes and see, see somebody on Sunday morning without, and then just leave them, leave them. Protect the flock. This, and this is all filtered out here in chapter 20, verses 28 to 35. Here Paul would give good counsel. We talked about the cross of Christ, and we talked about what Paul was trying to teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, how he's, he said that, that, that beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he talked about the wisdom of the wise. And he said, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the wisdom of the world? It's bankrupt without Christ. There's nothing there. And he said these D's were like, I, can't, I have to remember that. Lisey, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Right? Amen. That's John 21, verses 15 to 19. I have it right here. That's perfect. Perfect. Peter, do you love me? I love, I don't want to get too far. I love that. But the, the words that we saw when we were talking about the description of the cross, of Paul, of Paul speaking to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, the cross, it disturbs. The cross, it distinguishes. It delivers. It destroys. There are many words that we can use. And he was talking to so many people. He said there's so many people that find Jesus Christ as a stumbling block. He's not a stumbling block. He's the chief cornerstone. That's what he is. And so we see here, he talks about protecting the flock. And how could he talk about protecting the flock if he does not tell them why to love the very one that shed his blood for their sins? He has to show, Paul has to show the flock, the elders, those, what is their purpose from an eternal, from a spiritual standpoint? What is their purpose? And what he's saying is, it, not to dump money into the church, not to perform these rituals. He's telling them to be grateful. Be thankful and to believe in that blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Um, Teresa, could you look that up? Romans 6, 23. We should actually all have, all have this one memorized in our hearts. Romans 6, 23. Yep, Romans 6, 23. Thank you. Look at that. Christ paid our wages with his blood. He is the interest. He, he is our master. He, he is the one that paid those wages. He purchased the church with his blood. It is his own church. We are to love it. We are to all garden it. Not make excuses how to get out of gardening his church we, we, we wrong God when we are lazy and apathetic employees of His kingdom. Leaders must feed His sheep. Peter, do you love me? His sheep and lambs must be fed. He purchased it with His perfect blood. Isn't that incredible? He purchased the church with His blood. That's why it's dangerous for us to go around and just say, I have no gifts. I have nothing to give. I'm so down here. I don't mean anything. 
No, you do. You do mean something. If Christ purchased you with His blood, you mean everything to Him. When's the last time you purchased somebody with your blood? I mean, look at all the crosses that are out in Arlington Cemetery. Those men used their blood to purchase freedom for us. And a lot of them believed in Jesus Christ going back. And let me tell you something. That is a wonderful blessing. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 3. Somebody, read, somebody look that up. I'll, I'll throw it out there for some, now to, for some to look up the verses randomly here. Isaiah 43, verses, verses 3 and 4. that what what look at what the lord is lord god almighty is saying to isaiah he he goes back to egypt and he says remember i pulled you out of there you were you were nothing but indentured you were hard slave you were enslaved you were your your families were divided you you couldn't worship me and in order you know what the lord did when he said to pharaoh he told in exodus 5 he said moses you go talk to Pharaoh, and you don't tell him now that I'm the God of your fathers. You tell him I'm the God of Israel. And you know what I'm going to do? You tell Pharaoh that I have a sanctuary out there that I want my people to worship me at. And if he doesn't do it, I'm going to whack him with ten plagues. And when I get done with him, he's going to wish he'd never defied me. He was trying to bring his people together so that the families could be together again. They had been divided. They had been, some of them had been killed. They had all been every day they had to make bricks without straw and they couldn't do anything. But he was going to give them rest in his sanctuary. Enter ye into my gates with praise. And he's going back to that and he's telling Isaiah, look at what I'm doing. I love you. I'm, I'm your savior. That's what the biggest problem I think with Christianity is today. Most people don't think they need a savior. They don't want to be saved. I've heard people say that. I don't want to be saved. You need a Savior. So do I. Here's some questions. Now everybody can participate in this. You read these verses. You're welcome to cheat. You look at, look at the verses again. You're welcome. I'd, I'd love for you to cheat. Read the Bible. What are the petitions in these verses that Paul gives for protecting the flock of Jesus Christ? What are some of the petitions... If you read this, you can pick out what Paul was trying to tell them. What are some of the petitions? Or what are, what are some of the mandates or, or the, 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 the encouragements Paul's giving for, the, for, for being, for, for, for being uh, uh, protecting the flock of Christ? What does he say here? He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, in verse 28, and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost he hath made you overseers. I'll just I'll give one away. The first point, he says, to be overseers and to feed the church of God, he says. How about verse 29? Anybody see anything there? Think about it. What's he trying to tell them? It's a warning. Yes. He says, warn them, teach them what a grievous wolf is. What is a grievous wolf? What, what, what do they look out for? What kind of false prophets? And Paul gives them that. And then in verse 30, 
Anybody in verse 30? If you're catching on a little bit, maybe this is a little, maybe abstract, but, you know, use your imagination. Yes, to be on guard. That's it. Dave. It's another warning. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise. And here's, now what is the next phrase after that? Somebody read that. Yes. Think about that. Paul is saying, you want to pick out a false prophet or a wolf? Are they speaking perverse things? Are they saying wicked things in the pulpit? Are they promoting and advertising wicked things? And that's amazing how he goes from that and he goes right into something even more profound that's very modern. This is extremely up to date. I'll go through this. He's in verse 30. He warns them of those that speak perverse things to draw disciples unto themselves. And then verse 31, he says, I warned you. You warn them. What I told you, Paul says, day and night in tears, he says in these verses, I want you to warn them the same thing. Don't you change that gospel that I'm giving you because that gospel cannot be changed. It's perfect. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you change it. And he says, if I've warned you, you warn your congregations. And he's saying, when I leave here, don't fall away because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try to come after you. And that, that, that happens. And then something else fascinating happens. And then Paul, I mean, it's like the tempestuous waters. Paul is showing them the tidal waves that are there. And then all of a sudden, he goes to verse 35, and it's like a calm of the storm. Verse 33 to 34, he says, Covet no man's silver or gold. Paul did not do that. Take care of your own affairs. He says here, Be not greedy of gain in the ministry. Do not use the name of Jesus Christ to go try to make big money. He said, I paid my own expenses. I did not covet gold. I did not covet, covet silver. Well, what was the antithesis of that? Rome coveted gold and silver. So did the Pharisees. They had lots of it in the temple. They had money. They had people that were supporting them. Paul said, I didn't want none of these things. He goes, I didn't want that. I want your soul. I want your soul to be close to Jesus Christ. And I want the Holy Spirit to direct you. Not money. Look how up-to-date that is. Look at the ministries that are making millions of dollars off the name of Christ. And they're totally perverting his names. They're saying perverse things. Paul warns them. He says, whatever you do, he says, do not take the church and make it into a business. That's why, how I read into this. Does that make sense? I mean, that today, if you, if you read, if you look at, you could actually go online and look at some of the syllabuses for some of the seminaries out there. They're training businessmen. They're not training shepherds. How much money can you make? Get the biggest church, the biggest screen, get all the stuff and make money. Make, get the money, get the demographics, go after everything you can. Listen to a message the other day, and I'll tell you who it was. It was R.C. Sproul was talking about, this was a message he had years ago before he died, and he said that he had talked to the man. He didn't say the name of the man, but I think I know who it was. Back in the late 80s, he talked to him. He said, we've got to do away with this traditional worship. Everybody's falling asleep. And that's what he said. He said, they're falling asleep in the pews. They can't stand us anymore. We've got to update the church. We've got to get rid of the pulpit. 
and he said, we've got to put up a stage. We've got to get rid of the pianos and the organs. We've got to get up more upbeat music. We've got to get entertainment. Seeker services is exactly what it was called. And I know what Pastor Mike Britton used to call it. Mr. Berta, what did he call it? Happy yes, happy, clappy churches. And do you know that that name actually came up in this article that I was reading on the follow-up? Other people are using that. He probably got it from Dr. Britton. But seeker services, and they're looking for money. They're not looking for souls. They're looking for money. That's point number four. He said, you protect the flock. You know what I think Paul was also doing? He knew he had to protect them from themselves because it's so easy to fall away. You know what? I love point number. I love when we go in to this last point of point number four. This is where the waters start calming. Lisa. Yeah. That actually was a synod. It was the North Atlantic. You're, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you can look around. Look at the signs. Read the signs of the churches. All you have to do is you you could drive from here to Pastor Britton's place. And you'll see 5,000 church signs. I've seen one that says, um, bring your dogs in this week. Faith healing services on Tuesday night. I saw a drag queen service. Saw that. Yeah, they had that now. They've got it all. they got everything but Christ. they got everything. I mean, it's, oh, I'm telling you, they can hit that demographic. But you know, here's what Paul says when it all comes down to it. He warns of the wolves. He warns of the perverse words. He warns, of, he warns of the wolves in sheep's clothing and all the horrible things. He said, now, settle down and remember what Christ said. Look at verse 35. He said, I have showed you all things how that so laboring yet ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. He prayed. He put a benediction on this. He closed with a beautiful prayer. And he says, remember the weak. What is religion? We've learned in James. What is true religion? Taking care of the elderly. Taking care of the weak. And Paul comes back and he says that. And he goes on and he says, he says support the weak. And he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus which the first thing bell that went off in my head, and I immediately put it down here, he went right back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Christ said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Christ loves our tears. It's not that he's trying to make us cry, and he's some mean, mean, mean cosmic, you know, uh, Tyrant, tyrant, but he when we, when we have heartfelt tears, he says they have them all in a bottle. See that in the book of Psalms. Is it Psalms or Proverbs? I think it's Psalms. I can't remember the verse. I used to know it. Psalms. And he loves it. He has our tears. And here we see Paul is in tears when he's saying these words. We all have tears. We all get wrenched. You've been, those of you who have been here Wednesday night prayer meeting, you've heard it. And I tell you what, we've seen some 
incredible miracles in the last few weeks, incredible things the Lord's done. All, always, he's always working for us. But Paul says, he comes back and he says, he says, it is better, it is blessed to give than to receive. And I'm going to go back to Dr. Sproul one more time. He said that he, gave a, he became a Christian. He said he learned one thing. Become a good Christian is a throwaway life. You check it all into the front door. You rend yourself of all of your pride and you go out there and you have the power of Christ with you and that's a power that not even Satan can war against. That's a, that's, I think that's a good trade-off to, to relinquish our pride and to put all of our trust in a Savior because we need a Savior and the Lord promises us unlimited power. He does because He's got it all and he'll, he'll, He will defend us. Feed my sheep, point number five. Lisi brought it up perfectly. Feed my sheep. Christ speaks to Peter after denial, after his murderous crucifixion, after his resurrection. Lisi, could you go to John 21 and read verses 15 to 19? You earned it. Amen. How beautiful is that? What is he saying here? The question from Matthew 22, verse 42. What think ye of Christ? What do you think of Christ? He's everything to me. Is he everything to you? I hope he is. 2 Corinthians 5.13, I'm going to end. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, that verse doesn't end at the death. It goes right into the resurrection. He rose again and he gave his blood for his church. And that's it. Next week we'll go back into, uh, I think we're going to be heading into chapter 21 finally. Brother Dave, Heater, could you close us tonight, this morning?